So this morning now we're going we're gonna to turn to the story that you heard just a part of uh, in the children's sermon. The story that's uh, from Jesus' encounter with uh, one who had many possessions. I read to you now from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. Then someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What do you ask me about? What, what, excuse me, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And the man said to Jesus, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and also you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to Jesus, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving for he had many possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. And then Peter said in reply, look, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who's left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Ah, oh God, open this hard word for us this day. Reveal your way to us on our way that we might find ourselves drawn closer to Jesus. Amen. So three of the Gospels tell this story. Not surprisingly, it's the synoptic Gospels, the same Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The story of a man who meets Jesus. Now Matthew, the one you just heard, tells us that he's young. Luke's story tells us that this man is a ruler. And not surprisingly, the Gospel of Mark, which is always pretty, a lot briefer than the others, just says that he's a man. Now, there are small differences in the telling of this story, but the main point remains the same. There's a man who has great possessions. He has a lot of wealth. And he comes to Jesus. And in fact, the Gospel of uh, Mark says he runs to Jesus. I, I like that. He, he runs to Jesus. 
and he wants to ask about eternal life. But not just eternal life in general, like we might if we were talking in theory about something, but personally. What he asks is, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the text you just heard from Matthew says, teacher, what good deed, right? What good deed must I do to uh, inherit eternal life? And then there's that exchange that you heard and, and read. Um, Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The man affirms them. And then he seems to have a sense that there's something missing in his life, right? Because he says... But, but what else, Jesus, right? You know that feeling when you know there's something more? But, but what else, Jesus? Well, he asked for it. Jesus says, sell everything. Give up all that you have for the poor, and then wait for it. Here it comes. Then follow me. Hmm. Pause. The other disciples are there. I sort of envisioned them chanting, do it, do it, do it, right? The other disciples. Quiet. No answer. Except we're told here what we didn't hear in the children's version was this. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving for he had many possessions. This is, as far as I know, the only call story in the Gospels where someone decides not to follow Jesus. I mean, sure, there are a lot of people that we hear about stories of, of religious leaders of the day, but this is the only story we know of where Jesus says, come follow me. And the person couldn't do it. Why? Well, what we get the sense is it's because of his possessions. His attachment to his possessions. Here is a man who, as far as we can tell, is a good and righteous man. He knows the Ten Commandments. He appears to follow them. But then he decides that's not quite enough. He feels it. He wants to meet Jesus. And then when he really listens, right? When he really listens, leaning forward, he decides it's too much. It's too much. I'd like to be real quick to judge. Um, how could you turn Jesus down? But I recognize that like this man, most of us have more possessions, stuff than we need. And that, at least I know, I hold pretty tightly to some of it. We know that uh, sometimes for some our concern for our stuff sometimes leads us to be chained to our stuff. I remember telling you this story years ago, true story from the neighborhood where my parents lived. Um, I don't know if you remember when concrete geese were popular. You could get a concrete goose for your yard or your... And then there got to be that you could put clothes on it, right? Rain, yeah, some little, little raincoats or whatever, okay. So in the street over from where my parents lived, when I would be back walking uh, with our kids or my dad or whatever, there was a house that had a goose, concrete goose. And then the concrete goose, one of the times it went over, had, had a, like a little, you know, a little summer dress on with a hat. 
Oh, but what I found out was that people, <laughs> this is such a ridiculous story. People were stealing the clothes off the goose, <laughs> right? So rather than just going, maybe this is dumb, they built a little glass case around the goose. And the little gas, it, it might have had a lock on it. I can't guarantee this. But now you have a concrete goose in a dress and a hat in a glass box in your yard. It seemed to me when I would walk by there over this period of time, over this year, as this story kind of unfolded, it seemed to me, and as much, again, as I made fun of this story and still do, it seemed to me to characterize something about us, about the human person in terms of things and what happens to our stuff and how we need to protect our stuff and, and what ways, what, how far would we go? How far would we go? We have stuff, yes. And in this story that we heard, this man, he clearly, in all of the gospels telling, he has a lot of it. And Jesus says, you're going to have to let go of it if you're going to follow me. And that seems way too risky. Hmm. I can't blame him, really, for walking away. Because the gospel reminds us, Jesus' words remind us, not just in this story, but over and over again, that discipleship is no small thing. We're not going to always feel comfortable. We don't always get our way, not at all. We might be called into something to give, to act in a way, to change our ways of living that, at least at first, are uncomfortable. We are reminded by this story that there are reasonable ways and reasonable reasons for not following Jesus. That we might ask to encounter Jesus, meet him face to face, but maybe it'd be safer if we didn't, right? There's another story about the man that comes uh, to Jesus in the night because the same reason, face to face and a call will change our lives. Retired bishop, uh, United Methodist bishop, uh, Will, um, Williman, tells a story in a book called Where Resident Aliens Live that comes to us from a man whose name was Clarence Jordan. Clarence Jordan was born in 1912, lived to 1964. He was a great southern uh, preacher and farmer. He was the person, you might remember some of us who are older, the Cotton Patch Gospel, he wrote that. Um, he was instrumental in the founding of Habitat for Humanity. So Clarence Jordan was a great southerner, um, social prophet, Back in the early 60s, visited an integrated church in the deep south. Clarence Jordan told this story himself. He was so surprised to, see, to find a relatively large church so thoroughly integrated. Not only black and white, but rich and poor. And again, this was in the early 60s when it was completely unheard of. So Jordan asked this old country preacher who was now the preacher of a fairly substantial church, how did you get this church this way? What way, the preacher asked. And Jordan went on to explain his surprise at finding a church so integrated, and in the South, too. 
And then the preacher told him, well, when our preacher left our small church, I went to the deacons and said, I'll be the preacher. And the first Sunday as a preacher, I opened the book, the good book, and I read, as many of you have been baptized into Jesus, has put on Jesus, there's no longer any Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, males or females, because you all is one in Jesus. And I closed the book and I said, if you're one with Jesus, you're one with all kinds of folks. <laughs> and if you ain't, well, you ain't. Jordan asked the old preacher what happened after that. Well, the preacher said, the deacons took me into the back room and they told me they didn't want to hear that kind of preaching no more. And Jordan asked what he did then. And the preacher said, I fired them deacons. <laughs> and then what happened? Clarence Jordan is so invested now in this story. And well, said the old preacher, I preached that church down to four. <laughs> I preached that church down to four. Not long after that, it started growing and it grew. And I found out that revival sometimes don't mean bringing people in, but getting people out. Getting the people out that don't dare to love Jesus. The people don't dare to love Jesus. Do we dare to meet Jesus face to face? Do we dare to follow him? Give up our possessions or some of the comforts or some of the ways we believe about things? See, wherever Jesus led and whoever he called it, always meant changing something. Remember that a few weeks ago we heard the call of the, uh, the disciples, the fishermen, and they were told they left their nets and they followed him. And we heard about Levi, and it meant giving up uh, substantial income in his case. What does it mean for you and for me? You might have noticed, and uh, since we don't have print bulletins, not all of you probably... Uh, Look at our, our, our bulletins online. But if you do, you would have noticed that over this season of Lent, um, the sermon titles have had a common theme. The first Sunday when we encountered Jesus in the desert, I, I reminded you of the, the signs that say you are here, that on a journey we got to know where we start. And then, and then the next week there was Jesus' call. And the sermon title was, Hey You. And last week, that Good Samaritan story, Do You See Who I See? And then this morning, So You'd Like to Meet Jesus. It's all very personal. Personal you and collective you. Is this what we want? Do we want to meet Jesus Face to face, are we ready to get called into something new? Because like this man, this rich young ruler, the question is personal, not just in theory. Hmm. The call is this. Come follow me. Let's pray. Whew. Jesus, each of us has come to meet you this morning. And some of us running to you and others of us a little hesitant. What is this? What's your call on our lives this day, O oh Lord? 
So I ask you to look into our hearts and our minds. Call us again. Nudge us again. Open us to possibilities of really life eternal. Life eternal. So we offer ourselves to you, O Lord. We offer ourselves to you. Amen.